It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions about the Detroit Tigers, the Houston Astros, and what's going on with the Pirates player development. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So Merry Christmas to everybody as we do every single Monday, holiday or not, we're doing our Monday mailbag. Today's show full of questions from listeners. Reminder, if you have a question for the mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm, every other way to reach us, uh, email, discord, subtext, whatever it might be, it's in the episode description, it's in the show notes. So opening up couple questions about the Detroit Tigers, and I think one of the biggest ones that came up from this whole thing is about 2024 and where does Colt Keith and Parker Meadows fit into this roster? And specifically for Colt Keith, the question is, does he play second base or third base? You're in this really weird scenario where Colt Keith doesn't really have the arm to play third, but he doesn't really have the range or the hands to play second. And so where do you put Colt Keith? And I think this is a side effect of the Tigers having some poor uh, hitting development over the last couple years. And they were in a scenario where you have to take guys that are going to be offensive first players, right? But uh, it, it, it's good. It's good that you've loaded up on bats and you're trying to find positions for them. I'd rather you load up on bats and have to find defensive positions than to load up on gloves and not be able to make it happen at the plate. But when you're looking at Colt Keith, I think the a few things that go into this is one, where do you think he hurts you least? And two, where do you think Jace Young ends up playing? Because initially it was Colt Keith third base and then second base you were looking at. Jace Young has been playing primarily second, but when he went to the Arizona Fall League, he tried third base for just about the entire time. And so, one, Jace Young isn't that far behind Colt Keith. While I think that you're going to see Colt Keith get 300 at-bats in Detroit this year, uh, Jace Young may not get that many, but I think there is a very real possibility. The fact that he made it to double A by the end of July and his first year in professional baseball tells me that he could, if everything goes right, he could end up in the major league sometime later in the year in 2024. And I think that Jace Young would be better at third base than Colt Keith would. The arms are roughly equivalent, but Colt, as far as arm strength is concerned, right? They're both average arms at best. 
But Colt Keith is a little bit uh, slower as far as his release and his actions uh, on throwing. And then the range isn't necessarily amazing. I'd rather put him at second, knowing that Young at third would be better, knowing that they would both be fine at second base. And so Colt Keith, it's not going to be the best range in the world. Mike, you have to just understand that. You're going to be giving up some defensive range by putting Colt Keith at second. But it feels like he's going to do better. He can turn the double play pretty well. If he can get to the ball, he's going to make the play. And again, yes, the, the range does hurt you at second. But I think the arm and the range combined hurt you worse at third than the range of Colt Keith hurts you at second. So my ideal defensive alignment, by the end of next year, you're looking at Colt Keith at second, Jace Young at third, which, yes, his brother plays third base for Texas, but outside of that and the fact that they both can hit tons of home runs, they are separate players. They look completely different at the plate. They do different stuff. So don't try to compare the two as far as who they are as players, other than the fact that his brother also plays third base. And we've talked about it on the show. His brother's better defensively than we maybe necessarily gave him credit for. So Jace Young at least has the pedigree of being able to improve defensively at third base as well. The other part of this question was about Parker Meadows. And if he has shown enough to be the center fielder in in Detroit. And I think he has. And it's helped by the fact that Riley Green's going to miss some time because of the Tommy John surgery and going to eventually come back as a DH. So, reminder here on Parker Meadows. 2018 second rounder out of high school. Last year, most of the year in AAA Toledo. 113 games. 256, 337, 474 for Parker Meadows. 19 home runs. 53 extra base hits, 57 walks to 123 strikeouts, and 19 of 21 on stolen bases. The thing about Parker Meadows is he's done a lot of work to try to clean up the bat, right? When he was first drafted, it was a a swing that was not doing him any favors. I'll put it that way. It was really long, and it messed with his timing. It messed with his ability to cover the plate. Gave him a lot of holes, especially in. He's done a really good job of significantly cutting down that swing to help his timing, to let him get into the zone sooner, to keep the bat in the zone longer, and cover up some of those holes. And I still don't necessarily think that he's going to be a plus offensive, you know, a, a, a plus hitter, or even really a league average hitter. But I think it's given him a path to being a productive major leaguer. Again, the fact that he's a center fielder means because he's such a premium defensive position and he's such a good defensive performer. He's probably a 70-grade defender with a 70-grade speed and an arm that's pretty close to it. It means you can take a little bit lower potential. Uh, He feels like a guy that... I mean, his 90th percentile outcome is something like a 270 batting average with 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. 
But if he can bat 240 with 10 to 15 home runs and 20 stolen bases, you're perfectly happy because he's given you such great defense in the outfield. I don't see any reason why he should not be the starting center fielder. And honestly, he probably should play every day. It, like When you go back and you look, he's pretty good against both lefties and righties. And so Parker Meadows doesn't really have any deficiencies in his game other than your usual contact concerns that everybody who's not a pure hitter has. 37 games in the majors last year showed that he's not going to dominate, but he can hold his own, right? He batted 232 with a 331 on base and a 368 slugging percentage in 37 games. What was it? It was three home runs, eight and nine on stolen bases. You translate that out into a full 162 game season. And again, small sample size, so this is risky to do. But if you translate what Parker Meadows did out to an entire season, it is 13 home runs, 35 stolen bases, and about one strikeout a game. He struck out 37 times in 37 games. So one strikeout a game, roughly 25%. You'll live with that for a guy that gives you 70-grade defense and can steal 35 bags in a season, right? You live with that. If batting, if that was his line, 232, 331, 368, 13 home runs, 35 stolen bases, 70-grade defense, you live with it. You're happy with that. And I think that's the floor of what Parker Meadows can give you, provided he doesn't see any huge adjustments made against him by opposing teams. In just a minute, let's talk about the Houston Astros. I did a crossover last week, and we've had some questions asked about my take of Alonzo Treadwell over Spencer Aragetti. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The lines are out for the 2024 season. The Los Angeles Dodgers keep improving their chances of winning the World Series. But you also have all kind of fun props starting to come out. Who's going to lead the league in strikeouts? Who's going to lead the league in home runs? How many strikeouts or home runs are specific players going to log? Shohei Otani's home runs is a prop. Yasunobu Yamamoto's strikeouts are a prop. Spencer Strider's strikeouts are a prop. So you can go in there, you can place some action now on home run winners, obviously division winners, postseason teams, World Series winners, all of that. And if you want some bonus bets, you can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. So it's $150, and all you have to do is pick an NFL team to win a game. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, no better time to get in on the action. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get going with FanDuel, the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, so we did a crossover last week with the Houston Astros, with Brett, and we talked almost entirely about hitters. And full disclosure, the plan was to talk about pitchers as well, and we just ran out of time. We just went so deep on pit, on, on hitters and different guys we liked and stuff like that that we just never got to the pitchers. So I'm going to go back after we drop their 2024 farm system previews, which those start in January. 
We'll be going to six days a week for that. I'm going to go back on the show to answer some questions that come up from that and everything else. But in the meantime, I was, somebody asked, I mentioned it in that show. I like right-hand pitcher Alonzo Treadwell for for the Astros better than right-hand pitcher Spencer Aragetti, despite Aragetti to Baseball America being a top three prospect. I think MLB Pipeline has him somewhere similar as well. Most of the rating services have Jacob Melton number one and then two, three, four, some combination of Luis Baez, Spencer Aragetti, Bryce Matthews, right? And I think it's right to have Aragetti higher in the prospect rankings than Treadwell because of proximity and risk. But I can, but you can simultaneously acknowledge and understand that is correct while also thinking that Treadwell's ultimate ceiling can be higher than Aragetti's. The reason that Aragetti is deserving of a top five spot, whereas Treadwell's probably towards the back of the top 10, is because Aragetti's a lot closer to the majors and his floor is a lot higher. So reminder of what Aragetti did last year. He was a 2021 sixth rounder out of Louisiana Lafayette, which is an underrated baseball school. I'll just, they're consistently contending for the NCAA tournament. It's an underrated school. But 28 games, he started 21. He had made seven relief appearances, but divided between AA and AAA last year. So drafted in 21, and in 23, by the end of the year, he was in AAA. Aragetti went 9-7 and seven with a 4-4 ERA in 124 and two-thirds innings, 141 strikeouts, so 10.2 per nine, to 59 walks, 4.3 per nine. And the thing on Aragetti is it feels like the ceiling for Spencer Aragetti is back into the rotation, right? A number four, number five, something where there's a little bit of question about the ultimate velocity on his weapons as well as his control that's going to limit him from being more unless he makes another significant. So uh, he, he kind of 6'2", 190, height's fine. It feels like he's a little undersized though, and I feel like that comes out in his delivery. It's a high effort delivery, but he's throwing fastball, sweeper, change, curveball. Fastball sits 92-93 or so. Now, we talked about this a lot recently. It does have a really good flat vertical approach angle. And so it it plays up a little bit, especially up in the zone. But the velocity is still 92-93. The sweeper is, I think, his best pitch. It's obviously listed as his as a secondary because the fastball is most guys' primary weapon. But I do think the sweeper is his best pitch. Sits in the low 80s. He likes to throw it when he's ahead in the count. But if you can get ahead of him, so if you can get him into a disadvantage count, it really feels like it eliminates the sweeper as a weapon. And I also don't feel like he can consistently land it in the zone for a strike when he needs to. Against lefties, instead of throwing a lot of the sweeper, because you'll remember the sweeper is the biggest platoon splits of any individual pitch as a righty when he faces a lefty because that sweeper is going to come in on them. It's incredibly hard to not hit them with it and you can't get them to chase off the plate with it. He goes to a changeup. It's a little bit faster than the sweeper since mid 80s. And then he does have a curveball 
I think I wish the curveball was better, right? The curveballs, it's it's too plain. It's one of those dive down and away kind of pitches from a righty. It's gonna come in on the feet of a lefty. I feel like he's not confident enough to throw it against lefties. And so when he faces a lefty, he becomes a fastball changeup guy. Uh, again, the fastball doesn't necessarily have amazing uh, movement to it. It's good up in the zone. Again, flat approach angle. But I think the some of the control issues, I mean, you saw the walks 4.3 per nine, combined with the fact that he struggles against lefties and his best pitch is a very, very platoon-dependent pitch, Limit to me, limits the upside. If you can fix the control, fix some of the velocity, or improve, even just improve that curveball where he can use it against lefties, I feel like he's he has the potential to move from a four or five into maybe a three. Treadwell, by comparison, we don't have as much of a track record on him because he didn't pitch after the draft. 2023 second rounder out of UCLA, something where... He was he came to the, on campus. He had Tommy John, so he didn't pitch his first year. Then he became a closer. Then he went into the rotation. Had a back injury, so he's had Tommy John. He had a back injury, but huge boy, six eight two thirty. Obviously, that size has not helped him as far as staying healthy. But a good base there. The fastball. It's another scenario where it feels like he's not properly using all of his size to get the most velocity out of the fastball. A little bit of a disconnect, upper half to lower half. So it's a lot, a lot of its arm and shoulder versus using the full kinetic chain. I think that's something Houston can fix. But it sits 92-93, does really well up in the zone. He can run it up to 95 or so. I'm pretty sure I saw a couple of those when I was watching him. I remember seeing him in person uh, his freshman year, or the, the year he was the closer. I remember seeing him in person then when he when UCLA came to Auburn for a regional. Obviously, he's improved since then, but to go along with the fastball, he has a curveball, sits in the upper 70s, has that same two-plane break. It's breaking down and away. Has a slider that is more of a gyro slider, so it's relying on gravity, not entirely a gyro slider. So as it gets to the plate and the drop starts to happen, it does rotate a bit and starts to let the spin bite on it, but uh, has that has a changeup that he rarely throws. His whole thing is he's working up and down. He's got the fastball up and then out of the same slot, he's going to drop the slider or he's going to throw the curveball out to the sides. He's working. The fastball curveball is primarily what he does. Again, I think the slider, if he would tweak it up a little bit and use it a little more, would be better. But the big thing for me is, despite all the injuries and stuff like that, his two years at UCLA on the mound, He's had really good control. 92 and a third innings at UCLA. 2.83 ERA, just if we want to talk about it, but 18 walks. So 1.8 walks per nine. Contrast that with 113 strikeouts, so 11 strikeouts per nine. He's attacking guys in the zone versus, versus trying to get them to chase. And his stuff so far, at least in college, was good enough to get guys to swing and miss. The whole big thing here is he can land all of these pitches in the zone. What you're working on is one, obviously, you have to transition him to five days a week. I'm sorry, to pitching every fifth day versus pitching once a week. And for a guy that's dealt with numerous injuries, there's obviously a question on how that's going to work. 
there's a biomechanical thing to work on to get more of that kinetic chain into the throwing motion to generate some more force. Can you get that 92, 93 mile an hour four seamer up to 95? But if you can do those things, maybe tighten up that slider a little bit, you've got a guy who, to me, feels like he can be a number three to maybe a number two, right? That kind of depends on the velocity of the fastball. But he can get better than the projection now, which is a number four to number five. So Treadwell's ceiling is higher than Arigetti's, but Arigetti's floor is higher because he's so close to the majors and we've seen what he can do. Uh, so if you're doing prospect rankings, I'm totally fine if you have Arigetti above Treadwell now with the understanding Treadwell, I think, having watched him, I think he can be a dude if you can hit on two of these three development points. In just a minute, had an interesting question about the Pittsburgh Pirates and some of the deficiencies we've seen with hitting development. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Final segment of the Monday show of Locked on MLB Prospects. Again, Merry Christmas to you if you're watching today on the holiday. If you weren't, I hope you had a great holiday. Uh, reminder, if you have questions for this show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. We have everything else, email, subtext, Discord, all of that stuff in the episode description in the show notes. Had a really interesting question. Somebody was listening to the podcast about second baseman. I talked about Tamar Johnson, and I didn't talk about Nick Gonzalez. And the question came up, what are the Pirates doing wrong with their hitter development? Because Nick Gonzalez in college was seen as a, not a can't miss, but was seen as a very good college hitter. Tamar Johnson was seen as having a plus hit tool. And now that we get to where we are on the calendar and where these guys are in their development, there's questions for both of them about what is the hit ceiling here. And not going to go too deep into Tamar. Again, it was the second base episode. Uh, the second baseman winter rankings that we did back in the feed a little bit, little bit ago. Uh, but his scenario is more of because of physical development and approach and things like that, he has to figure out what he wants to do. Nick Gonzalez is a little bit of a better conversation about where Pittsburgh went wrong in their initial uh, handling of him and his development. So 2020 number seven overall pick, right? Now, he's had some injuries. He lost time in 2021. He broke a finger. Uh, he missed time in 2022. He had a torn, I think it was like a torn ligament in his heel. Not the Achilles, like the plantar fascia or wherever that is, arch of the foot, heel, whatever. So it's in the foot, and it doesn't feel, it sounds like it wouldn't feel great. But in 2023, he played 134 games. And 99 of those were in AAA, and 35 were in the majors. In AAA for Nick Gonzalez in 2023, 281, 379, 507. 14 home runs, 49 extra base hits in 99 games. 53 walks to 118 strikeouts. So he's striking out more than once a game. Gets to the majors for 35 games in 2023, and Nick Gonzalez goes 209, 268, 348. 
two home runs, 11 extra base hits, uh, six walks to 36 strikeouts. And to make it worse, 0 for 1 on stolen bases. Gets picked off the only time, or gets thrown out the only time he tries. And so the question here is, where did they go wrong with a guy who had a college batting average of 399 over 128 games? Where did they go wrong with Nick Gonzalez? And I think if you go back and you look at the way they handled him, so drafted in 2020, obviously no season. He can't play until 2021. I think they were way too conservative with his initial assignment. We've talked on this show before about the goal should be to aggressively promote guys until they're legitimately challenged. And he went, he spent the entire 2021 season in high A. He's, he's 22 years old in high A. 80 games. Again, there was some injury, so, but 80 games. He bats 303, 385, 565. 18 home runs, 45 extra base hits. 40 walks to 101 strikeouts, and then 7-9 on stolen bases. Taking a guy who was so advanced in college and putting him in high A, where he's technically younger than the average age of the level, to me, felt like it was way too conservative. He goes to the Arizona Fall League to make up some time because of the injury. He gets 19 games there. But in 22, spends most of it in double A, and that's where he got challenged for the first time. And like, Young players need to be challenged. And high A was not that challenge for him, right? It just, it was not a challenge for him. The issue when you watch what he did was his swing and miss was on chase pitches. And the issue for Nick Gonzalez versus a lot of other major leaguers, this, this is going to be the major league numbers here. 35-game sample, I know, it's like 128 at-bats, but just stick with me here. His contact rate on pitches outside of the zone was 41.4%, okay? League average at that was 62.3%. To me, the issue for Nick Gonzalez is the swing decisions, for the most part, were good, right? He was swinging like a below average rate when he was going outside the zone. But when he was swinging outside the zone, he wasn't making contact, right? And so it doesn't matter how hesitant you are to swing on pitches outside the zone if you never hit them, right? I would rather him have swung an above average amount but made contact versus swinging a below average amount and missing. And to me, some of this comes from he spent too long not being challenged by, one, pitchers who could effectively throw on the outer edge of the plate uh, and make him make those decisions on, is this a strike or a ball, and do I need to swing? And two, facing pitchers that didn't have good enough stuff to execute the game plan, make him swing and have him be unable to miss it. When he went back to AAA, He's two months in AAA. A lot of it was trying to get better on extension to hit those pitches on the outside of the plate. Now, when he came back, it was only like four, like uh, I think it was like four games, incredibly small sample. But his contact rate on pitches outside the zone 
was like 66%. Okay. The major league coaches were able to analyze what happened and give him a plan to fix it in the minors. I think the overall issue was he didn't get properly challenged until his second and third year when some of those habits were more ingrained. He probably should have spent a little while in high A and then went bumped straight to double A, right? He should have been in double A that first year. Now, again, the injury makes that a little bit difficult, so it's hard to entirely blame the Pirates for that. Uh, But I think you can see they drafted Paul Skeens. I think you can see that they, they understood some of, like, they understood the flaws here, right? Paul Skeens made it to Altoona, to double-A Altoona to the curve rather quickly because they understood we need to aggressively promote our prospects to get them to where they are challenged. And Paul Skeens was absolutely mowing everybody down in every single start until he got to his first start in double-A Altoona. Some of this was also a different baseball, but his first start in double-A Altoona Two-thirds of an inning, three hits, four runs, two walks, two strikeouts. I mean, he throws 33 pitches and doesn't get out of the first, right? He got the challenge. He learned some lessons. He came back five or six days later, pitched two scoreless innings against Erie with one hit, no walks, and three strikeouts. He ended the season on a high note, but they got him challenged immediately. I mean... He started pitching in early August in rookie ball, and he was in double A by the end of the month because they aggressively moved him up to get him at an age-appropriate challenge, and it worked. He struggled, and then he fixed some stuff, and he got better. That's what you want your prospects to do. So I'm hopeful that they've learned the lesson, and I don't necessarily think there's a fundamental flaw with the way the Pirates handle player development. I think his specific situation, Nick Gonzalez's specific situation, a combination of philosophy, the injury, things like that, was probably mishandled just a little bit. Okay. Hope you're having a great Christmas. If you're watching this on the day of, we love to hear that. Again, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, We've got a full week of shows coming up. You're not going to miss anything. Uh, If you have questions for a Monday mailbag, segment ideas, anything like that, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Uh, Every other way to reach us, in the episode description, in the show notes, we have a link tree down there, as well as a link to our podcast survey. I want to hear from you. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor